Ah, welcome to Says Who, the podcast I'm recording in the back of my car. Which isn't a podcast, it's a coping strategy. I'm Maureen Johnson. And I am Dan Sinker. And Let's just uh, hand wave. This is brought to you by all of you on Patreon. Please buy my books, uh, merch stuff. Look, look that, that's all by the by this week. We don't have time for that. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we have just spent 35 minutes of me driving around Iowa City, Iowa, trying to find a stable enough internet connection that we can do this. I am now uh, parked in front of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in uh, Iowa City, mm-hmm. and we're functional, <laughs> I guess. Okay, can you describe your setup? So I am uh, longtime listeners will remember that uh, my family and I travel around in the summer. We did not do that during last summer for obvious reasons. Uh, we did it. We have started two days ago uh, to travel out to Colorado to see Janice's family. We are uh, traveling in our trailer and uh, where we are staying has zero internet at all. So I have come into Iowa City. I am in the back seat of our car. The six-year-old's booster seat is full of all of my computer and audio equipment. I brought two different audio interfaces to try to get this to work. The second of the two seems to have done the trick. Uh, I, I am tethered to my phone, which is sitting propped up at the window because it was not strong enough if it was even a foot into the car. And uh, I am thankfully parked under a shaded tree and the, it is cloudy currently. But this the, is this is going to turn into another situation where the you, actual air temperature is 87 degrees. You're gonna, it's going to be you in front of a pyramid again, suffering heat stroke. Yeah, I am sweating a lot. And I did realize as I started oh, the 20-minute drive from the campsite that I left my water bottle. So God damn. Oh, God damn it. God damn it, Dan. But, uh, but we're here. We are here, Maureen Johnson. We have no notes. Nope, we have no notes because I did not have any internet connection with which to put notes together. Well, we did both read books, but before we do that, I want to reminisce for a minute about an activity that you may not have partaken in in the 1990s, or maybe it was the early 2000s when Wi-Fi was first a thing uh, and laptops that had Wi-Fi were a a new thing as well. And uh, people of a particular hackery persuasion would do something called war driving. Are you familiar at all with war driving? Uh Oh, my phone just fell down. We might have just lost connection. We're good. Propped it back up. Can you hear me? He's not okay, you guys. This is going to turn into the... Anyway, war driving, you would drive around a city uh, locating Wi-Fi signals that you would then use in your car. And as... uh, as I was doing this, uh, attempting to find a strong enough cell signal to work all this out, I was thinking about war driving. I used to have a little keychain that would detect Wi-Fi signals and would point you towards them. Oh, boy. It's the good old days, Maureen Johnson. 
How are you? You are in theory leaving town in two days. Uh, well, update. Uh, we are leaving town, but we are not going to England. Um, our paperwork has not yet arrived that, that allows us to go. Um, so we, we had to pull the plug on our tickets for Saturday and we are going at some point, but we have to wait for permission. But my this, God, I'm going to tell you because I'll, I'll take the reins a little bit on the news. I um, love it. I want to, we're recording this on Monday the 19th. And for our UK listeners, I want to say happy freedom day as it's mm-hmm. being called happy freedom day in which all restrictions are lifted, including all mask. Now, if you're in the U S and you haven't heard about the UK freedom day, what's going on is they decided that as of the 19th of July, uh, they are lifting their shirts and saying spring break and everything, all bets are off. Now, uh, Delta is absolutely ripping through the UK right now. Um, and the day before Freedom Day, or I guess, uh, I guess maybe Saturday, the health secretary, Sajid Javid, uh, tested positive for COVID. Oh, perfect. Um, now, whenever someone tests positive for COVID in the UK, their contacts all get notes that say, hey, you've been near someone who has COVID, you have to quarantine for five days and get a test. Um, but Boris Johnson, the prime minister, was like, ah, I'm not going to quarantine because rules are for other people. Oh, and then every, everyone else got, everyone got mad. So then he says he is, but like no one really believes he's going to because apparently nothing matters. Now, Dan, uh, the CDC has now moved the UK back up into the the United States kind of red list travel where they are now like, we do not recommend traveling to the UK, like avoid travel to the UK. You can do it, but it's, they've put it on that list of, of bad places because it's so rife with Delta. Um, and people who are vaccinated are getting sick. Yeah. Um, not it, you know, people are, uh, also, uh, as someone pointed out to me today, they have also announced in the UK that as of, okay, I'm going to, this is, this is a good little quiz for you, Dan. When okay. do you think people, so in the UK, the plan is to have it so that you have to prove vaccination in order to have, go into like a big crowded space or a big crowded event. When do you think that that goes into effect? I would imagine that would be today, Freedom Day, right? Uh, no, that's September, Dan. Oh, sure. September. So as this person who showed this to me pointed out, basically July and August are the purge. And it, well, it seems completely random, Dan. It seems like they spin a wheel and whatever happens, happens. I think that's called the U.S. way. I will tell you, Maureen, so we uh, we left for this trip. So uh, first of all, a shout out to my other podcast, The Hitch, which uh, is recorded by me and Janice in the trailer when we travel. Uh, season three of The Hitch, the zero day episode actually came out today, Monday, as we record this. It'll be two days late when you hear this. And we will start rolling 
full seven episode weekly bursts starting next Monday. But uh, we talked about this in the in the zero day episode. So we started planning this trip. You know, we travel, we road trip every summer. I mean, even before we got this trailer, me and you were recording with me in Colorado or elsewhere most summers. Um, And uh, we didn't travel last summer. And this summer we held off for a very long time. Then Vax came out. Even the team could get Vaxxed. And um, and rates started plummeting. And we were like, I think we can do this. So uh, we started planning late, but we started planning. And we and there was even a point where we were like, if we wait till late summer, then it's going to be even better. If we wait till July, no problem. And uh, the day that before we left was the first day that case rates were going up in all 50 states. So mm. we nailed it, Maureen. And I will tell you that uh, the first two campsites that we have been at, we are the only people that have worn masks when we've gone inside. In fact, the first campsite was celebrating Christmas in July. Mm. Sounds nice. With packed full hay rides with Santa ho ho hoing around the uh, around the campsite mm-hmm. and uh, ice cream socials and all the nine, and we were just sort of harumphing in our trailer. That so, sounds fun. I mean, I will say, we spent four hundred and ninety days in our house, which is the longest that any of us have ever spent in our house, <laughs> and it is. It is really nice to be out on the road. And I think that we are doing this as best as we can. And, uh, you know, looking at case rates, where we're going and and all of that. But it's not great. Don't love it. How is it? How is this? How is the experience of being somewhere else? Uh, It was weird, right? Like the first... I said to Janice, as we were driving with the trailer toward the first campsite, I was like, you know that scene in The Lord of the Rings where one of the hobbits, they're like walking through a field and one of the hobbits is like, when I take this next step, this will be the furthest I've ever gone, you know? And uh, I had that exact feeling of like, we aren't turning around and going home. Like we're just going forward for the next month. And that used to be a really commonplace thing for us. Like that used to just be the way of things. And uh, it it has taken a lot of, of energy to transition back to, surprisingly so. Like there are things that you fall into, but then there's also um, like, man, we were used to being home. That is for certain. Did you have any uh, kind of, reaction like feeling wise uh. it was it was oddly emotional like realizing we're just going now like this is it this is it it was strange it also i i've talked about this on the podcast before i keep a little journal and i have numbered every day since the kids came home from school as qd and then whatever the number quarantine day and then the number And uh, I realized that I needed a new numbering system because a person can't claim to be spending quarantine days if they are out in the world. So Mm. suddenly QD 490 was where we reached. Wow. 
Jesus. Yeah. I last summer when we were able to go to my friend's barn and we left the house the first night, um, I woke up Oscar because I was screaming in my sleep. Oh, good. So that was my anxiety coming out after leaving the pet, like what, when we had gone through the New York pandemic and then we, in the middle of summer, we were staying in some, like in a, a separate house somewhere. And I, yeah, that was my psychological unpacking. It was like my, my brain did all the work in my sleep because I didn't know it was happening. And then I woke up feeling much better. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it, it is, I, I have noticed, and I've said this to the teen too. It's like, everyone is so tired by the end of the night. And it's, yeah. I think it's just, we are doing so much mental psychological work, you know, like mm -hmm. it's so stimulating. Like the world is like, Whoa, look at all these things and all oh, these yeah. people. And not all of them have bottom halves of their faces, which they maybe shouldn't. And, um, yeah, every night I am like about to collapse and it's, you know, so I think I will get used to it, but, um, but yeah, we, uh, we are not entering a single space. I mean, first of all, we have greatly reduced our exposure. We're traveling with an insane amount of food so that we don't have to go into grocery stores and things like that. And, um, we're, you know, we're reducing our exposure as much as we can, but, uh, we're, we're masked no matter what. Uh, even if it feels uh, weird. Well, take it slow. Yep. As you know, slow don't, as you can. don't overload your system. And uh, fortunately, Dan, fortunately, Dan, we have some super fun reading to discuss. It's the Says Who Book Club. Wow, thicky checks bringing it. That's really good. Bringing it. Yeah, so last episode, we in real time made the terrible decision to each read one of the new <laughs> Trump's Last Year books that came out on the day we recorded. Uh, you, smart person, got the electronic version and began reading immediately. I, for some reason, ordered a hard copy, like I need this in my life after today, Um. So you were sending me DMs almost immediately being mm. like, we've made bad choices. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I had to wait for the actual book to arrive, but I powered through and I finished this morning. Well, um, I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. Uh, I've only finished half my book. Oh, it's okay. But I bet you know how it ends. No, no. What's going to happen is I'm going to give half of my report this week. <laughs> and half next and half next because i feel like the second half of this book is going to be much more spicy than the first half okay so what was your book my book is frankly we did win this election the inside story of how trump lost by michael c bender and um so dan here's what happened and i actually i'm going to lean over here a little bit because i have to plug my e-reader in because it's running out of power 
Um, what happened was I immediately got the book. And I, like, because I'm a little twerpy student. It's like, I will be the best. I will be first. I will be first. Uh, and I'll get right to it. And I started to read it. And I took it to the tub. I was like, I'll have a nice bath and I will read this nice book by this nice man. That seems like I see your problems right. lining but, up. Well, I mean, if you're going to read a book, it's very nice. It's a relaxing place to read it. Have you just walked into another room? No, no, sorry. I was leaning. Okay. I was trying to. I was leaning over to plug. I told you I was leaning over to plug. Plug in the. <laughs> your voice was just getting further and further away. I that, thought you were maybe filling the tub just to really my, uh, recreate the whole experience. This is my emotional state when I come about this book. Is this is how I'm retreating to a safer place, deep in. So what happened then? Was I began to read this book, and. You know, the beginning is fairly, you know, it's stuff I know about. There's no surprises. Uh, it's recounting events that I was, we were all around and yeah. we read about. And I started to psychologically, it was like I had emotional, I'm not, I'm not using this kind of facetiously. It was like I started to experience a kind of peak emotional PTSD where I was mm -hmm. actively dr like dread, like all of a sudden in my, the forefront of my mind, I was reliving like arguments and anger and like, just r like things that I like things that drove me things I couldn't let go of. Yeah. And, uh, angry conversations with Trump loving relative and, um, like flashes of the, the Kavanaugh hearing. <laughs> like I was re it was like, I was like watching the bombs go off sort of like, and yeah. I, and I was trying and I barely got through, I don't know, 20 pages. And I realized that half of that time I was lifting up my eyes and staring. You ever see that the meme of the cat reading the newspaper that's looking up thinking I should buy a boat. Like that was me. <laughs> looking at the horizon, just staring, not at the book, but at nothing. And I realized that I had been doing that, mostly that for a half an hour. Um, so I didn't read the book for a couple of days because I was like, well, that, like, I don't, I, I just kept looking at it like it was a dead snake on my night. I was like, just avoiding my e-reader. I was just walking around it. It's like, <laughs> and hissing at it. Um, but then I was like, I got to read this. You know, I so I picked it up and I started powering through it again last night. So I apologize to everyone for not being done, but I am done. There's 18 chapters and I'm on chapter eight. So um, I'm just just repowering it a little bit here and I'm put my glasses on. I'm going to read you a couple highlights. This is about Trump on the campaign trail in 2016. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're up in New Hampshire, and it turns out when people go to New Hampshire, there's certain stops they always have to make. And one of them is a diner called the Red Arrow. And here is the quote. He, he didn't like, it says he didn't like to go to diners, but he made an exception for the Red Arrow when he slid into a booth and signed autographs. In a dark suit, white shirt, and blue striped tie, he ordered a Diet Coke and a Newton burger a ground beef patty with all of the traditional burger trimmings, plus a scoop of deep fried mac and cheese. Wow. A, grill, 
a grilled cheese sandwich in place of the bottom bun and a second yeah. grilled cheese sandwich as the top bun. It would be immediately rebranded as the Trump Tower. Enjoy your burger, racist, a woman yelled as she was halfway out the diner door. <laughs> so there's so much to discuss here, Dan. I mean, obviously, this ticks a lot of boxes for us. So I just to repeat that this is a burger which has on it a scoop of deep fried mac and cheese. So that, that, you picture yeah. this, there's a burger, a scoop of deep fried mac and cheese. So it's like in, a mac and cheese fritter. And then all of this is between two grilled cheeses. So when uh, when last we were traveling uh, two years ago, the teen, we were in Memphis, Tennessee, and the teen found a... Um, like uh, Italian ice or water ice, as you call it in Philly. Uh, but I believe they call them snowballs mm. in um, in Memphis. Uh, and he found uh, he found a place and we went and they also were a burger place. And he ordered what they called the lumpy burger, which was a burger in between two grilled cheeses. <sighs> there was no, but there was no deep fried mac and cheese and he was a 14 year old metabolism right right and i have never seen him look more food sick than mm. by the time he was done eating his lumpy burger and he can basically eat anything at any volume at any time because he is a growing teen i so, watched your son eat pretty much an entire pizza yeah. and i don't think he stopped to take a breath no no, he often, I will tell him, actually, stop and breathe, man. But uh, it, it almost felled him. That was without deep fried Mac and with 60 years on the man. Mm. Yeah. So imagine you're on the road. You're, you know, you're doing a lot of stop, meet and greet. You're probably already kind of in the position of having reflux or you know whatever like when you're yeah. traveling this is when the bad food choices happen yeah and you slide into a diner to have some casual uh interactions with people and you say well i'm gonna have a little bite to eat here you know what i'll have i'll have a burger with a scoop of deep fried mac and cheese on it that's in between two grilled cheese sandwiches yeah that's what you get i got queasy just reading that and yeah, I, it's i'm not, not i'm not a food snob with this kind of stuff that was that's just that feels like that's that just oh i was like oh oh boy that's oh no oh oh no uh there were other instances in this book where they describe a, a fancy dinner in which the main course was meatloaf and the dessert was vanilla ice cream so i was shouting out obviously yeah. um, now in this same chapter of nausea this chapter five victory lap which is clearly a chapter of nauseating things this is a Don Jr.'s girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle. Um, this is a uh, passage about her talking, giving some presentation. She avoided the kind of vivid descriptions of Don Jr. she often used at private fundraisers to give donors an unwanted glimpse into their private lives. How he liked it when she wore a cheerleading outfit and was a, quote, naughty boy when she, quote, let him out of his cage. Instead, she described that. him as, quote, Braveheart meets Honey Badger. Uh, I don't know what that means, and I don't want to know what that means. He, now, here's what I want to know, Dan. 
do they have some literal Don Jr. sex cage? I, I, well, or is it a metaphorical one? I don't. I don't I want think it's, any of this discussion. I think it's a real one because they're I, they're rich and and gross, and so yeah. therefore all things are possible. Uh, you know, I yeah. I just I'm, I'm having one. It's really hot in this car. Two, mm, mm. I'm having deep regrets about the last two minutes of what you've been saying. All right. Well, I'm going to do. I want you to close your eyes. I'll probably pass out. It's okay. Take. Low, slow, deep breaths. I'm going to do a little. I'm going to do a little um, hypnotherapy with you, Dan. I don't know. Okay. Well, you close your All eyes. Right. We're going to count back from ten. Okay. You're going to start now, and very slowly, your eyes are getting tired. Ten, nine. With every number I count down, you're a little bit more sleepy. Eight, seven. You're a little more sleepy now. Six, five. You're going to just release control. Four. That's right. Ease down three and your eyes are getting heavy now. Two and one. They're closed. Now, Dan, you're, you're walking into a diner called the Red Arrow and you're sliding into a booth and someone comes over to you and they, oh, they've put a plate in front of you. And what's on the plate? It's what is it? A sandwich? It's square like a sandwich, but it's a, oh, it's a grilled cheese. But why is it up? So, oh, it's a grilled cheese, and then there's a there's a kind of glumpy thing on top, and then there's a burger, and then there's another grilled cheese, and they say, here's a Trump Tower, and you have to eat it. So you pick it up, Dan, you pick all of that up, and you shove it in your mouth. Oh, and there's someone else coming in the diner. It's Kimberly Guilfoyle. She says, oh, here I'm putting on the cheerleading outfit that he likes. And then there's a cage that lowers down from the ceiling and it's got Don Jr. in it. And he's like, let me out of my cage. I've been a naughty boy. And she's shaking her pot and you're just shoving that thing in your mouth. Just And we're going to come back up five, four, three. And you're back in the room, two, one. There we go. Oh, hey, Maureen. How do you feel? I feel good. I got a little bile in my mouth, though. Yeah, <sighs> I took hmm. the liberty of pulling up the menu for the Red Arrow Diner. Oh, good. And because uh, I wanted to see what other things you could get there. And it, these are the things. So they have a plate. It's something called Mo and Dinah's Burger Bar. So you start from scratch, like you get a burger and um, you can make it a thin patty or a turkey or a veggie patty. Uh, so that's nice. Um, and they give you basically every single so the options are like lettuce, tomato, pickles, whatever. And then it, then they say keep building and they list all the cheeses that you can put wow. on. You can put on an egg or coleslaw or gravy. Then there's the keep on building phase, which is $1.25. So it's like four for free. The next level is 75 cents. This is at the $1.25 level. You can add bacon, ham, okay. sausage, Whoa. sausage gravy, chili, wow. onion rings, golden cheese sauce, hollandaise, oh. fried pickles, fresh spinach, oh. twist, an avocado yeah. spread. That's then, to keep it healthy. For $2.50 each, these are the extra options you can have on your burger. An extra patty. Okay. Corned beef. Wow. Corned beef hash. Sure. Pastrami. Okay. Turkey. Meatloaf. You could mm. have a full-on slice of meatloaf on there. Kind of surprised you didn't go with that. Fried mac and cheese. Yeah. Something called a fried Dinah finger. 
So presumably one of Dinah's actual figures deep fried, a grilled cheese. You could just add into your patty. You could just have them stick a grilled cheese on there. <laughs> and then you could get grilled cheese as the buns. Yes. A Triple chicken, grilled cheese. A chicken fried steak. Sure. A quarter pound hot dog. Wow. Or a crab cake. That is living. I mean. I don't hate it. I, I think I do. I think I do. I, I It's a lot. Some There's, things are going to sit on a burger better than others. Corned beef hash. I don't quite see how that's. Mm. An edible burger with corned beef hash on the top. Just give me one of those burgers with a grilled cheese and a, and a piece of meatloaf and a crab cake. I am remar- It is remarkable to me that Donald Trump, faced with the option of a burger with a meatloaf mm. on it, chose a burger with a deep fried mac and cheese. Likely, it was just that that one was the like notable burger. Uh, yeah, I think it's the top of their burger list. Yeah. It's just called the Newton Burger. Um. So, I mean, you really don't need to finish the book, Maureen. That is enough right there. Well, you can, um, some of the other things that you can get uh, on the side, you could get the fried, deep fried mac and cheese balls on the side, but twist it as a bonus, those are topped with cheese sauce. Oh, sure. Sure. Woof. Aye, yeah. aye, aye. This is, oh, it's, it's just a lot, you know? Um, that is, there is a lot. The thing they really try to push on you at this diner is their liver with onions and bacon. That seems to be that mm. they're, that's what mm. they're really, really mm. proud of. Um, yeah, he's not eating that. Everything. Uh, and you know what they have in their greenery section right at the top? What? Wedge salad. Sure. And you can add steak tips to that. Yeah. You can also get Keep a 106-piece bucket of tenders. Wow. <laughs> Not fucking around with a hundred and six piece. Now I will say that they also have a they make freshly baked pies, and I'll bet you that their their pies are just tremendous. I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to entertain the notion that everything is delicious. I would go a hundred percent. Oh, there's an Instagram. Oh shit. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's not available. I guess their Instagram is gone because I'm really I absolutely want to see this. I want to, uh, oh, the pie and cake order form. Oh, I bet, oh, I bet these are good. Oh, I bet these are good pies, Dan. Oh, I bet you. I bet you they're good. So anyway, um, but I, I was uh, texting you some of uh, the highlights and photographs. Uh, let's see, Manchester. Sorry, I just, ooh, what are the blues plate specials? I just want to see what the... <laughs> Hey, how was the Says Who Book Club? You know, it was funny. They didn't really talk about the book. Maureen just Oof. read a menu for 30 minutes. Oh, God. Their Wednesday. Oh, God. Their Wednesday blue plate special is chop, chop suey parmesan with garlic bread. Wow. I, I. Oh, Dan, it's. Oh, there's the burger with the hot dog on it. Sure. Oh, Jesus Christ. It, did they slice the hot dog? Is no. it like a half cut in half hot dog to sit on the burger or is it just? No, a... it, it just kind of sticking out. Okay. It's real weird. Oh, and there's the grilled cheese. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, and oh, and the. Okay. So it's the grilled cheese double burger. And then you get a full grilled cheese on the side. And that 
grilled cheese is covered in kibasa. Wow. I mean, this place gives no fucks. But Dan, Dan, we uh I don't want to go too deep into the to the minds of the Red Arrow Diner. You don't? I mean, but we did find as I was sending you some quotes about uh our boy Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. And uh, I think this is, I'm going to read some from this and then we can go into your book report because I think what we're finding is a lot of overlap. Yes. In how, uh, oh wait, here we go. There's also one of the earliest sections, Battle Creek, which is about a speech that, uh, that big event that Trump was having the night of the first impeachment hearing. And he had, uh, he had a guy named Gidley, his last name is Gidley, who really wanted to please Trump and was going to make him a sign about what was happening. And this guy was taking his crafts very, very seriously. So this is what he, what happened. Gidley found some white corrugated plastic board, but dismissed the markers that Nick Luna, Trump's body man offered. No, Gidley knew the marker lines wouldn't be thick enough for Trump to see from that distance. He remembered a printer backstage. I can print this in huge black letters, Gidley thought. Stephen Miller's assistant showed him how to use the printer. This is the worst children's book ever. Gidley (laughs) went to work on a series of practice runs with printed out numbers as Grisham and the White House staff secretary, Derek Lyons, looked on. Should he put a hyphen between the vote counts? Yes, he should. Should the board be vertical or horizontal? Horizontal looked better. How about stacking the vote totals one on top of the other? Hmm, Gidley thought. He went back and forth on this decision. He finally decided to keep the vote counts on the same line. Gidley knew that's what the president would want. Aw, good job, Gidley. Uh, I'm going to pass over the Giuliani stuff because um, Giuliani is, uh, like, here's a little passage from chapter, oh, I have a lot of, from chapter four. Um, (laughs) once Trump took office, he continued belittling Giuliani. He berated him in front of others for spitting while he was talking at Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin's wedding in June 2017. Go stand somewhere else, Trump told him, and Giuliani did. So there's, there's so much of that. I mean, the, the, the basic lesson of all of these is that nobody likes Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Yeah. So I read the other book that came out last week, Landslide by Michael Wolff, who uh, made a name for himself having written The Fire and the Fury after Trump's first year. Apparently, he wrote one in the middle, too, which I feel like didn't get a lot of play. But um, this book and your book, and there's a third one as well that I think came out today, all of them are people with axes to grind at this point, right? Like being willing to talk to whoever will sort of listen. So Michael Wolff is sort of a gossipy political journalist. And so a lot of people are willing to grind axes with him. And I would say 90% of the axes that people had to grind with this book were with Rudy Giuliani. He is unpopular. He is the constant presence in this book. He is always drunk. He is just, he is like the clown prince of this book. Like the clown prince of darkness 
is Rudy Giuliani throughout this book. This is an early passage. Uh, actually, also, this was in debate prep before the 2020 election debates. Uh, and he kind of goes after. So debate prep was a sought after ticket, partly because Trump was in a reliably good mood. Rince Priebus, the president's first chief of, chief of staff, managed to grab an invite for a session. Sean Hendy and Laura Ingram tried but failed. Rudy Giuliani came once, but no one wanted him back. His phone rang constantly and he couldn't shut it off. He shuffled endless pieces of paper without being able to find what he was looking for. He couldn't work his iPad to bring up what he wanted to show, reliably stalling meetings. And he went down rabbit holes. They could get Hunter Biden if they could just find the guy who signed the forms to get Hunter the waiver to get into the military. And he passed gas constantly. The Rudy in this book is always <laughs> three sheets to the wind. Michael Wolf uses that repeatedly. To describe him and constantly farting <laughs> like that is just throughout the entire book uh, Rudy is farting and drunk don't make me like the guy <laughs> just without fail those are the two descriptions of rudy and everyone in this book hates rudy <laughs> So much of the book. This is not a good book, by the way. He, in the acknowledgments at the end, he admits that he started writing it in January. And okay. it went to press in June. That's quick. That's real quick. And you can tell. There are typos all over the place, including my favorite. Repeatedly, Trump is written as rump. Really? Yeah. Wow. Usually not when talking about the person, but in a more like the Trump people or whatever, you know, you end up with the rump people. Um, the first time I excused it because typos happen, but like the fourth or fifth rump, I was like, how is this happening? Um, there are multiple people that he will introduce in a chapter and then you'll go a few more chapters and he will introduce them again because clearly you forgot. Nobody went back to be like, oh, wait, we've already introduced this side person, you know, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot, a lot of just straight transcription of stuff, um, block quotes from speeches, all of that. The weirdest part, now I, I, I folded down pages because that's how little I care about this, um, this book. There are just so it's it's the kind of thing it really does read like he made notes and then he just kind of copied and pasted his notes together. There's all sorts of like little is there an official term for when you put like three little asterisks in a chapter and then you start a new thing? Uh, a break. Yeah, there those are all over the place. You will just have like two paragraphs, and then a break, then two more paragraphs, and they won't really relate to anything. Oh, I'm glad that you picked up on my technical jargon just so you're like yeah. you just rolled with it. I did. Right. Anyway, so at one point, a lot of the book, it, the book slows down to sort of like bullet time mm. to talk about the insurrection. And then there's just this part. He's in full narrative. And then he suddenly just has three pages of quotes from, I think, video of people in the Capitol. But, mm. or, you know, so let me just read this. Quote, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Quote, this is surreal, but in real life. But this seems like a movie. Treasure this moment. Stop the steal. Stop the steal. We want Trump. We want Trump. Stand down. You've got to stand down. This is not going to end well. They're not going to shoot everybody. Listen up. We've got to be calm. We've got to be calm. 
Use your crowbar. Back up. Back up. As soon as, it's this for three pages. Is this is this poetry? It's like yeah, it's some sort of tone poem. Uh, the book is not good. The final, if you remember, the fire and the fury. I don't want the, to, but I do. There was sort of a multi-page soliloquy by uh, Steve Bannon in uh, The Fire and the Fury. In this, the epilogue to the book. So again, clearly just they like he wrote this book in order. Whatever ends up at whatever page is what he wrote last. Right. right. So the last thing he got was he got approved to interview Donald Trump. So the epilogue is his interview with Donald Trump in the lobby of Mar-a-Lago. And the whole thing is just a gigantic block quote. Oh, boy. Uh, including interrupting himself to be like, hey, how's it going? Are you having a good time? Okay, great. So then he goes back into it, but it's just demented rambling for pages and pages and pages. Let me see. The block quote basically starts on page 299 and goes, for all intents and purposes, uninterrupted for 10 pages. Oof. Yeah. And that that block quote was definitely that same moment that you had where I was like, I don't, this is a whole thing that we lived through forever. Of just yeah. this man speaking in random verse. And now I'm reading it. But um, but yeah, Rudy is just all over the book. All over the book. There is uh, an amazing part from the book about the impeachment. And how they could not find any lawyers at all. And you'll remember at one point they had lawyers and then they lost the lawyers. Yeah. It turns out... And unfortunately, I don't think I uh, it turns out. So the, they found this lawyer named like Butch something or other for, by uh, Lindsey Graham found him. And Butch talked to the president and the president basically was like, well, how much? And Butch was like, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I can do it. And the president was like, OK, you're my guy. And then uh, Butch calls uh, Jason Miller who was like a, a main campaign person and was running point for the impeachment calls him back the next day. And he's like, Hey, listen, um, I told Trump $250,000, but that's not all the fees. You know that. Right. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, like I have a whole firm and uh, I, I, we're not just charging 250. That was my fee. And Jason Miller's like, well, what's the total cost going to be? And the guy's like, ah, oh, it's probably around three million. And Jason Miller's like, uh, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to go back to the president and tell him that your price is going up by two million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars? I'm not doing that. We need new lawyers. So they're just searching for lawyers forever. And so they find Bruce Castor and the Vanderveen dude from Philadelphia. Right. Oh, Philadelphia. I forgot. Oh, that guy. And there was also this guy, David Schoen, who only appeared at the beginning of the impeachment trial. And 
the reason that was given was the impeachment trial was on Saturday and he was an observant, um, he was an observant Jew. And so he was not able to work on Saturday or any time right. after sundown on Friday. And originally they were going to move the trial for that. And then they didn't. And um, there's this amazing, so shown just basically exit stage left because they keep wanting him to basically be the attack guy. And he's like, I'm not the attack guy and I'm not running this fucking thing. I don't even know your case. You brought me on because I understand First Amendment law. Right. And uh, meanwhile, if you remember the impeachment, Bruce Castor did the opening statement and it was just rambly and terrible and talked about like uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and shit like that. And Trump apparently hated it and basically was like, I don't want that guy speaking again. The, the speech so, that was like, you all seem real smart. Yeah, you guys are smart guys. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not and I'm not. And so. This guy, David Schoen, who is a solo lawyer, he has no firm. He has no aides. He literally took the job, according to this book, because he thought that it would be a good civics lesson for his teenage kids. Uh, Trump calls him up and he wants. OK, Trump suddenly decided he wanted Schoen to take over everything. But Schoen was now resisting, saying in the middle of the most important trial of his life, he really didn't know the case. You should let Castor do it, Schoen said. He has a whole firm. It's just me and my son. I've seen you on TV, Trump tried to bolster him. You're a good lawyer. Just do it. What are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of Castor? This is Schoen's response to Donald Trump. Because I'm a wimp, sir, said David Schoen to the president. What? What, what did you say? I'm a wimp, sir, a pushover. That's me. I can't stand up for myself. That's just who I am. That's amazing. <laughs> a wimp? You're supposed to be defending me in an impeachment trial? My lawyer's a wimp? A wimp? Did you just call yourself a wimp? A wimp? I want you to do it. You do it. Man up. That is the best way of getting out of doing something for Trump. <laughs> right? That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That guy's a genius. A genius. <laughs> so he I, was essentially taken off the case at that point. I'm a, oh, sir. I'm, the trouble is I am a wimp. <laughs> Fantastic. That guy's great. But yeah, the book is really weird and uneven. Uh, there is an entire chapter entitled Rudy, and it is wonderful from start to finish. But um, it's just super weird. Like COVID barely exists in the book. Uh, the election sort of happens in one chapter, and most of it is devoted to the attempt to overturn the election. And then it kind of takes a hard right and just like the Times, I guess, and focuses heavily on the insurrection. Um, the day before the insurrection, apparently Trump just spent the entire day on the phone with Rudy, both of them gassing each other up about how Mike Pence was going to overturn the election. Like in the book, they're basically like literally nobody thought this was going to happen, including Mike Pence, who had told them he wasn't going to do it. But they would just spend the entire day on the phone being like, he's going to do it. It's going to be amazing. Um. I'm just going to open up my book again for a second if my, yeah, okay, it does have power still. So here's something I didn't know about Trump and Giuliani. 
And this is from this this book is much more um, a slower pace, and it's much more of a real book. Yeah. Um, and it is it goes through everything in a lot of detail. So we're just getting like, like where I am now in the book is basically June first. So oh, okay. uh, June first, twenty twenty. And it's going into every part of the coronavirus response, the response uh, about uh, the um, Black Lives Matter uh, mm-hmm. um, protests. Uh, basically, all, I and a surprise. Here's just a very surprising section. So they um, they play Trump the video of George Flo- of uh, George Floyd's death and. Um, Trump is horrified, weirdly. This is a very weird section. So he watches it, and then he then here's the quote. This is fucked up. Trump told Barr about Floyd's death in a meeting that included Jeffrey Rosen, the deputy attorney general, and a room full of other aides. Barr pointed to some potential complications, but Trump didn't want to hear them. I know these fucking cops, Trump said, recalling stories he'd heard growing up in Queens about savage police tactics. They can get out of control sometimes. They can be rough. Trump's assessment struck some in the room as surprisingly critical of police, and the president showed a level of empathy for Floyd behind closed doors that he would never reveal in public. So, um, if that's true, that's pretty wild. Um, yeah. That he, but also that he also fucking knows. Right. That he knows exactly how fucked up police can be right there's no there's they kind of go through it several times where he recoils from the video and keeps saying how fucked up and literally he's quoted how fucked up it is he fucking knows but then it goes through his response of um he really knows and doesn't give a shit like when it goes against him as opposed to just not even knowing at all Right. Um, it got it. I, that just where I was reading. Like I haven't finished that whole section yet, but um, it was very. Uh, it was surprising and dark. The mirror side of that is in my book, where ultimately for him, everything that came out of that was that he that it was a situation that ran out of control for him right like and that's what pissed him off more than anything else in my book and i didn't actually know this the person that stepped in when the black lives matter protests were kind of beginning to ripple out across the country and essentially to some degree take control of the campaign and change the narrative to really kind of lean hard into law and order was Dick Morris, who was a shady and shitty character from the Clinton years, the Bill Clinton years, who eventually, I believe, got arrested um, in D.C. hiring a prostitute, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But he emerges, basically starts talking to the president starts talking to Donald Trump and is basically like, here's what you need to do. Like, you need to seize on this. You need to talk about this as a law and order issue. You need to talk about this protest as being out of control. And for a few months, really runs the reelection campaign and turns to some degree, turns it around. 
it's just the kind of deliberate choice of, it's not just that he was stupid and ignorant. It was that it was the deliberate, I don't know. It just got to me, Dan. Maureen Johnson, um, as you were speaking, I looked down at myself mm. and I realized that I have sweat entirely down the whole front of my shirt and it is now collecting across my shorts as well. Oh, get out of the car, Dan. <laughs> so I think that nature is telling me. This has been says who get, get out of the car. It's time to say says who is made possible by you. Just get out of the car. Of our Patreon. They know all this. Dot com slash says who. We're every Sunday, but probably not this Sunday because I am not going to be able to record uh, in any reliable fashion this weekend. Uh, you get a bonus episode of Says Who. If you give it the 5 or $10 a month level, you can join the Says Who Facebook at slash Facebook slash group slash Says Whovians. Our Facebook group is moderated by Janice Dillard. And uh, please leave stars and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can join us next week. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but next Wednesday for the next episode of Says Who, where I will likely not be recording it in a broiling car and from a car across the street from the veterans administration in Iowa city. I am Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson from New York City. Get out of the car, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to open the door. This has been says who. Oh, the door's locked. Oh, oh that's oh. me. Shit. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Dan. There we go. I turned it off. <laughs> now I'm going to open the door and oh. hopefully not set off the alarm. Yeah, there we go. Whew. Oh my God, it's a lot cooler outside. It feels great. <laughs> this has been Sesu.